Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hello, this is Sarah Merrick with the Church Times book podcast. And I'm in conversation today with Emily Rhodes, and we're going to be talking about the book we've chosen for this month's book club title. And the book is Charlotte by David Ferkinos. He's a French novelist, playwright, screenwriter and director. And it's it's not a new book. It came out in 2014 in France, where it won two prestigious prizes and sold half a million copies. Um, And I gather it's been translated into 19 languages, including English, and is the book that really put this author on the map. So, Emily, could we start by you just telling us something about about the book, about the story? Yeah, sure. Hi, Sarah. It's lovely to be here. Yes. So on the face of it, this is like the most depressing, tragic, miserable book you could ever read. And why anyone would pick this up in a bleak January feels... um, you know, like like a good question. It's about the life of the German Jewish artist Charlotte Salomon, who was born in Berlin in I think it was 1917, and then um she was gassed in Auschwitz in 1943 when she was pregnant. And you know that from the off. So you know straight away it's gonna be kind of horrible story, but but <laughs> While there is, of course, this feeling of the Nazis closing in and life getting harder and harder and shorter and shorter, um, there's this tremendous feeling of pushing back against it and her urge to create and be an artist, also her her urge to just be normal as well and sort of fall in love and, and be a child. It's such a remarkable feeling of resistance that instead of it being well it is sort of it is very tragic but it's also very not uplifting but maybe inspiring as well Mm -hmm. I mean you you also read it did you feel that tension as well yeah I did um and of course we know what's coming Charlotte does, does she sort of not really not quite so that's I think created very well and we should say the reason we're reading this in January is um, Holocaust Memorial Day on the 27th of January so there is a reason and also as you say it's it's not all all gloomy and now she's an artist whose work was exhibited in the Royal Academy in the 1990s and then more recently in the Jewish Museum in London in 2019 I did wonder did you did you go to those either of those exhibitions I know really sadly I've never seen her work kind of in the flesh Um, there is a website where you can um look at all her work um which is extraordinary to to scroll through um but also I mean this is really embarrassing to say but I'd never even heard of her before coming across this book and since reading it and recommending it to people I have felt slightly reassured that I'm not the only one who's appallingly ignorant about her I mean even people who are artists themselves are like who's that um but but you know I think she is underknown Mm. and you know, also didn't produce a huge body of art because she she wasn't alive for very long. And I think I've certainly, you know, for me, one of the great things about reading this book was 
not only the beautiful way it was written, but the fact that I was discovering this whole new artist, this whole new body of work. It, it was almost an entry point. Because um, also, actually, another great thing about the book is the author brings in other interesting real life characters. So there's Walter Benjamin, there's Hannah Arendt, there's all these people who, you know, when you when you finish reading, I literally came away with a list of um of, of names to Google and and look into. Um, Charlotte is just just one of them, really. Mm-hmm. And you say in your introduction to the Beast, you say that the author spent eight years writing what you describe as this intensely powerful, slender novel about her short life. And I just wonder how, what are the techniques do you think he uses to achieve that intensity? Yeah, good question. So, so when you look at the at a page of the book, you would be forgiven for thinking it's a long poem. Mm. So each sentence has its own line. And at first, I mean, I, I feel like whenever I read something that's written in a slightly experimental form, you know, there's this moment of feeling, I don't know, a little off put by it, thinking, you know, what um, what is this here? But actually it flows so well, you soon stop noticing it but he mm. said the reason he he is sort of, within the book he actually explains why he wrote it like that and he said he felt he needed space to breathe mm. that this op- oppression and suffocation that was coming in as the nazis close in and this feeling of her life being put under so much pressure to try and survive he had to create that space to breathe mm. and it's this brilliant echo of how um Charlotta herself and the people around her tried to create these breathing spaces for her. So, for instance, when she is determined to study art, and you know, there's there's no way that a Jewish student could get in. There's one professor who manages to find a breathing space for mm-hmm. her. I think he uses those words. And it, it's this feeling that she's constantly trying to find these little spaces and I think, of course, you know, in light of the Holocaust, it does, it has this, this sort of terrible inflection. You know, you think of the tiny spaces where people hid mm-hmm. and, you know, the fact that in the end she did, she was gassed, you know, when the, she literally lost that breathing space. Yeah. Yes. So he so he gives each each sentence a breathing space before mm-hmm. the next, which which you do sort of need to slow down when you read it because it's, I mean, did you read it in one sitting? So many people sit down and they literally can't put it you down. can't stop, no. I feel yeah. I feel that's very strongly um, the sense of it. And yes, and I gather as well, it's the only time the author has written like this. His other books mm. are much more conventional in style, which, it, you know, is understandable. Yeah, the other thing he does is um, he puts himself into the story. So I, I love books where you get this feeling of the author's journey and process um another really good one was the hair with amber eyes I don't know if you've read that where you feel like you're with him going through the archives and and so I think he tried to write it without himself in it for a long time and then suddenly realized he had to put his own story and her effect on him into it so while most of it is written in the present tense Charlotte's story which which feels very immediate you're Mm. very you're very much there there's this weird thing where he kind of flips time. So even though the story of him writing it is more recent, 
that's in the past and so he'll sort of say oh I you know I was outside her old apartment building and I rang on the doorbell and this is what it was like or he goes to her school um he goes to where she was in the south of France so he's in her footsteps and you're you're at once with Charlotte and also with with him Yes, and I, I was very interested at how effective that was. It's the sort of thing that you know, could be irritating, but it's but it's not, yes. isn't it? Somehow, yes. um, yeah. He, you know, he's yes, he's there, but he, he doesn't make it all about him. I suppose is absolutely, is absolutely. And I, I mean, it's funny. I was I was just thinking about the books. It's so it is a very slim book, um, you know, slimmer than it looks because mm. there's so few few yeah. words on each page. But it, I think it is a very messy book, and I think in a good way. You know, I think it's. He's brought in all these kind of messy, these messy, you know, it's quite messy to bring himself into it. It complicates it. Mm. And it's messy when he goes off and has a little tangent about what happened to Walter Benjamin or or whoever else. But I think it just thickens it and makes it more rewarding for the reader in a way. It, it, and it's nice that it's not neat and all kind of nicely resolved. And and that is because you know, real life is so messy, isn't it? It's not, you know, it's not you, with a, just a novel. You can wrap it up somehow. You can wrap up the loose ends. And of course, that's not what it's like. Um, yes, so. which is a really interesting point because it is a novel, but it's yeah. also a life. Yes. Um, and it's it's such a, you know, when you read it, I think there's this constant feeling of you, you forget that it's a novel and you also forget that it's real. You're sort of in its world so completely. Yes. But there's this, sort of terrible bit at the end when um I don't think this is it well it's not a spoiler because we know that she dies but her work has been um this tremendous work she's she's created called life or theater mm-hmm. has been protected and her her family get it and they look at it and they and it, it is her record of her life but they don't believe it it's mm. her version of things. Mm. And in particular, I think the, the love affair she had with her mother's singing teacher, which when you read it in the in the novel is completely believable. Mm. But when when the mother, her, sorry, her stepmother, when her stepmother sort of sees it, she she can't believe yeah. that it's happened. It's all fantasy. And, the, you know, the title of Charlotte's work is Life or Theatre. You know, what is the truth? Is it life or is it theatre? And... There's that that's kind of mirrored in the novel, you know, is it real or is it the author's imagination? You know, how can he know exactly yeah. what she's thinking in, in those moments? But I but I for me, I feel there's a, a more profound truth in it, a kind of emotional truth that sometimes in a straight biography, you know, you get so caught up with the facts and the the sort of historical what actually happened and the proof whereas in a novel you're slightly freed from that and Mm can can kind of get at the emotional truth and and how how the characters were feeling and and a truth there and there's a line at the end (laughs) where where he writes you know it is charlotta's truth an artistic truth um and yes i was going to ask you whether you think it matters how literally truthful any of this is does it i mean does it raise questions about a novelist deciding to write about a real person does that present ethical problems yeah i mean i think so one particular point is about her relationship with her grandfather which is there's sexual abuse um really strongly 
suggested yeah. and 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 the work the also the the thought that maybe the grandfather abused her um her mother and aunt as well and that's led their suicide so yeah so just to make it even more gloomy you know before we even get to the holocaust there's sort of millions of suicides so <laughs> death death on all sides and I think yes obviously you've got to be incredibly careful when you're making those kind of accusations and but I I think it's I think maybe it's a different kind of truth and whether it's an artist's truth or an emotional truth or and maybe there can be lots of truths lots of versions you know it, when there when somebody writes a memoir even though that's supposedly true mm-hmm. there's always going to be someone else who's got a different version of events yes yes because we're all shaping our own stories constantly aren't we and we read stories with our own um with our own um you know, understanding as well. Exactly. You never read something exactly. neutrally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we already touched on the fact that she has this, as well as this tragically early death, she has this awful, you know, family background story with this, you know, suicides and so on. So it was a very hard start in life. So the fact that she achieved anything is pretty remarkable. I I was very touched by the presentation of her relationship with Paula, the woman who becomes her stepmother. Mm-hmm. You know, how did that strike you? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think the stepmother as a, a kind of archetype is, you know, is always a baddie. Yes. And I, I've definitely spoken to, to certainly a couple of friends who have become stepmothers and how they have lamented finding, you know, no good depictions of stepmothers yeah. in in stories. Yes. Um, and how hard that is to, you know, to become a stepmother to a young child and yes. for them to think of you as, sort of evil certainly yes. ugly um, so here it's the opposite and there's this beautiful moment when um when she goes to the piano um so she's a, a music a singer and Charlotte's mother played the piano and and he writes very beautifully about the silence that falls over Christmas and you know it's, it's so palpable that silence and and the the grief that is in that silence and the piano remains untouched because her mother used to play it and her music is still on the on the piano ready to be played nobody can touch it it's mm-hmm. it's this sort of frozen in time and and then Paula comes and um she's so kind of warm and full of life and they ask her to sing and she goes to the piano and she puts I think it's a Schubert lead on top of the existing music and it you know it allows people to move on it allows her to mm-hmm. to keep going and I was very touched by that and there's yeah. something very beautiful about music where there was this once this awful silence this awful void it sort of helps you know fill the void somehow doesn't it and yes void in absolutely heart um, yes although the relationship isn't completely straightforward but it is still the the presentation of it is that it is a gift um overall I think I I felt it was a um yeah there's a moment isn't there where she's she spends ages choosing the perfect Christmas present for her or something and and she's very she the stepmother's like oh how lovely and then she says oh how lovely to everyone else he's got and she she doesn't quite feel special enough Mm. and then there's also another moment where she talks about yelling at her stepmother um which felt very real I mean I I, th- I think that there, there is this 
feeling through the book that Charlotte is a genius, but also that she is a girl mm-hmm. in very tough circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I, again, maybe that's something that a novel gets that a biography might not. This this feeling of empathy that you can imagine yourself being her yelling at your stepmother alongside appreciating her yeah. absolute dedication yeah. to her art and, yeah. and the things that might be harder to to relate to there there's always something where you see her as a real real person yes and and maybe that was the one place she was safe to yell because there's an awful lot of silence around all sorts of other parts of her family yeah. and the fact that she's safe you know comfortable enough to do that uh, to let rip you know i think is um, yes, you have this lovely phrase when you're talking about that um, in your in your introduction about um, her as a genius and as a girl. You say in doing so, the author elicits our sim- our empathy alongside our veneration. And I mm. wonder how how you think he does that. You know, what's how how does he manage to do that? I entirely agree with you. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you know the great thing about reading novels is that it does elicit empathy and a you know just by imagining yourself into someone else's life you are empathizing with them and you know that the things we've talked about the the present tense makes it very immediate I think the sentences there is a real simplicity to his style right that and also I should say it's it's translated very beautifully well yes. yeah it it doesn't feel at all clunky yes. it's it's, so yeah, I feel it's always important to name the translator Sam Taylor. Yeah, so really well translated. So I think, you know, as a reader, you are you're in Charlotte's skin. Yes, you're you're there. So that's how he gets the empathy, and I think the veneration is this feeling of how extraordinary it is to to have created that work when when you're about to be killed yeah. you know when when everything you, you you know she leaves Berlin she goes in exile to the south of France um her grandfather possibly abuses her you know she's lost everything yes she loses everything and creates her own world mm, mm, mm. um in, in her art yes yes and just about the art there's that very painful moment before she leaves Berlin where she wins this prize but she's not allowed to win it because she's Jewish yeah heartbreaking heartbreaking but but actually also illustrates the point that she was absolutely you know she was absolutely at the top artistically um yes lose sight of that this is this is somebody who was brilliant um yes yeah Yeah. and so I think that's right so he it is very good that he brings in other people's responses to her work mm-hmm. so the fact that she does win the prize um there's the doctor isn't there who sort of instantly knows she's a genius yeah. like anybody who sees her work yes gets it yeah um yes. and I mean it's interesting that the the novel has no illustrations in no so we don't actually you know unless we look them up we don't see her work we have to rely on other people as yes. witnesses Yes. And I didn't think that mattered, actually, because, again, I, mean, I don't know what the cover of my cover is quite sort of plain and, and it, doesn't yeah. matter. it doesn't matter. The words speak it doesn't matter. themselves um, for me, I felt as a reader. Um, so finally, just to sort of wrap up on this, Emily, you say in your piece, this book is not a light read. So why, <laughs> no. why should why should people read it? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I also um, I really believe in there being times and places in your life to read certain books and if you're going through a hard time 
and I, I'm aware that January is a hard time you know don't make yourself read it, <laughs> it, it, it it's, it's still going to be there for you when you're feeling more emotionally robust I do think though we I hesitate to say the word duty but perhaps we do have a duty to witness these things that have happened and you know the holocaust was so terrible and it is hard to talk about the holocaust or write about the holocaust in a way that is new or devoid of cliche I mean even just as I'm talking about it now how can I describe it terrible doesn't feel like the right word it's so hard but I feel that this book is completely original Mm. you know it has the holocaust in there but it's it's actually about Charlotta and her life Mm -hmm. and if you think of you know the millions of lives like hers that ended too early it's it's important it's our responsibility to to do it and and it somehow it makes it fresh I think the problem with these things that are talked about again and again and again it you become a bit deadened to them they they lose their impact but this absolutely makes you feel it all over again yeah yes absolutely and also I think she is an artist who's you know you people will enjoy discovering her work which you can you know you can find online and I think that's a real eye-opener as well Um, yeah she deserves to be better known as an artist but I I quite agree it's a very fresh a very fresh story a very fresh take on a story we sort of think we know Um, exactly exactly Yeah. Yes. Um, and then finally, Emily, I always ask people if they can recommend something else they've read recently or, or you know, something that they think our readers might enjoy. And I think you've got something that's in contrast <laughs> to this. So, so yes. Tell us so about that. my favourite book to read in January, um, when I, I find January a very horrible time of year. Um, this is a warm bath of a novel. It will, you know, I recommend reading it in the bath, reading it in bed reading it somewhere cosy it's I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith and I mean it's funny because it's incredibly different to Charlotte in some ways and that it's funny it's uplifting it has a happy ending but in other ways um it's incredibly similar it's about a young girl coming of age she is a writer you're reading her kind of diary her account of her um impoverished family who live in this kind of falling apart castle and then the Americans come and they go kind of swimming in the moat at night. And there's one bit where there's a sort of fur coat and they think they're a bear. I mean, it's, it's completely ridiculous and charming and eccentric. And and it's heaven. It's, it's absolutely heaven. <laughs> no, I couldn't agree more. Thank you. And I think you're absolutely right. It's a very good counterpart to this. Um, a, a, young, a young woman just coming of age. Uh, so thank you for your recommendation. So we've been discussing Charlotta by uh, David Ferkinos, and um, you can read Emily's introductory essay and some questions for discussion in the Church Times and online. Emily, thank you. Thank you so much. Wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to The Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.